Show me the heart unfettered by foolish dreams, and I'll show you a happy man. But only in their dreams can men be truly free. Twas always thus, and always thus will be. Welcome to Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. Sounds familiar. My name's Caleb. My name's Stephanie. And welcome to our ASMR script reading of the Dead Poets Society. <laughs> uh, yeah, we should go through and have a special episode where we read all the poems that are quoted in uh, Dead Poets Society. Ooh. I know. I, can I just say, this this movie made me miss just reading poetry and, and performing poetry Which so much. Stephanie's the only person I know who's actually done that. Yes, I'm a nerd. Either we all know things. it. We all know it. Uh, yeah, I, I did used to do spoken word poetry in in uh, college. And, but before that, I um, I don't know. Like when I was a kid, when, when I was homeschooled, I should say, I read a lot of poetry because we had these old like textbooks, uh, like these li- old literature textbooks. And I would just voraciously read them because I, I didn't have much else to read. Um, and, and there would be all these, like, just beautiful poems in there, and, and I was just so obsessed with them. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know, I, there was a time when I knew my, my famous poets of the 19th and 20th centuries pretty well, that, that knowledge has waned a little bit, but it was nice to be refreshed on it. The, the romantics, of course, were my favorite, unsurprisingly, and, um, th- those are the main ones that are quoted in Dead Poets Society, so... It was a little bit of a trip down memory lane. <laughs> so we're talking about Dead Poet Society <laughs> and... The Truman Show. We are doing a Peter Weir... I think that's how it's pronounced. Weir double feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Truman Show. You know what? We've got all sorts of fun facts about that. We'll just get into those later. <laughs> um, the, this, uh, this episode was inspired by... Primarily by me... Uh, Having an accidental yes, double feature. Yes, an accidental double feature. Well, sort of. It was accidental on my part. It was intentional on YouTube's part. I sat down and watched um, Dead Poet Society on YouTube. And then as soon as it was done, um, the Truman Show started autoplaying. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm in the exact right kind of headspace for this. Let's fucking go. And um, and then that got me thinking, wow, the- these are actually a good double feature. And I looked it up and... They're both directed by the same person, which in retrospect that's, is probably why YouTube played it. That's exactly what <laughs> happened with our League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Van Helsing Double Feature. We didn't realize <laughs> it was the same director until like after we made the decision. Right, right. Yeah, so that actually ended up pretty well. And, and you know, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that these movies have a lot in common, which is, once again, often the case. I, I think w- with, especially with any particular filmmaker... Um, common threads will show up in their filmography, which uh, certainly would be the case for me. Like, if I was a filmmaker, everything would, you know, have some... Everything would have, like, a a a tumultuous parent-child relationship, a forbidden romance, 
you know, something to do with space, probably. Um, uh, <laughs> everything would be set in, in, in space or in some part of the country that no one's ever seen before. I don't know. That, we're workshopping that. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, we decided to do these as a, as a double feature. And uh, we're, we're going to see if it works. Um, it's, once again, just going to be me and Caleb tonight. We are hoping to have Justin next week. Um, it was too wait for little Justin to record oh, tonight. Hey, the man has a tough job now. <laughs> he has to get up at four thirty. He has a big boy job now. Right, I know, which sucks. Can't can't could not be me. Um, but <laughs> the, these movies are kind of about how having a job crushes your soul. Not really. They're 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 more about things that are kind of tangentially related. To they're that. about how your dad will try to crush your soul. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> these movies about why these movies are about why you should say fuck you dad and i think that's beautiful I, so, <laughs> what, what what i you know no i shouldn't do it i don't need to go making star wars references when we're talking about <laughs> cinema okay everyone should film. either stab their dad or save him from an evil emperor those are your only options i agree with stephanie <laughs> okay <laughs> So, Stephanie. <laughs> yes. Was this your first time seeing the Dead Poets Society? It was, in fact, my first time seeing Dead Poets Society. Um, so, interestingly, with this movie, th this is one of those movies I have always heard about mm -hmm. for ages, and yet had absolutely no idea what actually happens in mm -hmm. it. Like, like, I had always heard of it as, like, a series of references to, like, particular moments. Or, or Captain My Captain. Yes, exactly. Um had always heard of it in those terms, but I actually didn't know what the plot was at all. Like, didn't know anything about the characters except for Robin Williams' character. Um, so I was I was honestly pretty excited to watch it when I learned that it was on YouTube, um, just because I, I wanted to see what it was all about, because I had always ha kind of had a suspicion that it would be the kind of movie that I like. You know, having seen some of the cheesy quotes from it about, like, poetry, and I'm like, yes! Yes, <laughs> that's the that's I that's what I want. Why did we invent language? Uh, <laughs> to woo women. To woo women. <laughs> right, right. My man's was like to communicate. <laughs> no. <laughs> right, which is is funny because it's kind of implying that either women don't don't want anything to do with language or are using it to be lesbians. But anyways, Sappho would probably agree. But um, no, 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 no. It's just saying that women didn't create language. Oh, okay. We we merely adopted it. Right. <laughs> right. The saying is not why do we use language? Mm -hmm. Why was language invented? Yeah. Little known fact: men were talking thousands of years before women were, and some say that that's how it still should be. <laughs> hey. Anyway, um, I I love this movie. Male centricity aside, um, no, it's really the kind of I can see why certain types of Gen Xers became so obsessed with it. Yes. Absolutely understandable it's to me. Movies that are male-centric, I feel we are allowed to... Or this male-centric, you know. Men have stories, too. They're allowed to be told. No! No, they're not! <laughs> I, uh, I I will usually give a pass to uh, uh, movies saying that like their central tenet is it's okay for men to have feelings. You, you could like. not tell this story unless it was all dudes. Like, or you, the, this story, let me rephrase that. The, the themes of the story and kind of the idea of it would not work if it was mixed company because 
we're about to already dive into some of the, the deeper themes of this. So let me just put a pin in that and just say, like another great Peter Weir film, uh, Master and Commander, this is a movie that has, to be fair, every right to be about dudes being dudes, but also not in the way you might expect them to be a dudes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, so yeah, this was my first time watching it. Um, I, I really liked it. Honestly, might be my favorite movie from the 80s because, you know, uh, at this point... There's my, not a lot of pickings I was going to say, uh, at this point on the podcast, my feelings about most movies from the 80s are pretty well known. And this one, in a way, doesn't feel like an 80s movie. Like, it feels like a 90s movie to me. It was it 89. It was at the end of the 80s, The yes. late 80s, early 90s are, like, kind of interchangeable. Yes, yes. But it feels... Tra- it does feel transitional in that way in that it feels like... Um, kind of moving away from what 80s movies were all about. Even though, even as I say that, I'm sure there were plenty of good indie movies that were coming out in the 80s that I just haven't seen yet, and we'll need we'll need to get on that. Anyway, Caleb, what, what, what was your experience? Uh, this was also my first time watching this movie, um, which was nice, because as a huge Robin Williams fan, um, Justin is too sad he couldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always nice to see something new from him after so many years you know yeah um it's like keeping the memory alive yeah um it's always a pleasant surprise because i think it's it's been a minute since i've seen any movies with robin williams in it and you know when he shows up the first time you're like oh hey, this is nice robin <laughs> like, yeah um god what was the last thing i watched with him for the first time or just in general just in general probably something we watched. probably aladdin for, for this podcast well, that doesn't matter i don't need to go down that train um yeah i'd never seen it before i'd always meant to you know yeah um that happens a lot but you know podcast is as good an excuse as any to make you watch a movie hey, you've always been meaning that's to watch. part of why i love this podcast is that it forces me to watch at least two movies a week <laughs> on yeah. average so you know that that's good um yeah the this one definitely feels like one that i can't believe i hadn't watched until now because it's so up my alley kind of um i think it just hadn't been on streaming or or something like i just hadn't gotten around to it um yeah at the at the point when we watched this probably the most we knew about the movie was all the references in that one episode of community yes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is not the first or the last time we've ever said that. I was, yes, it's like that's frequently I, I true. I feel like Leonardo, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme. Like when I watched Die Hard for the first time, I'm like, oh, that's the Ooh, thing. A community the, reference. Yeah, I can't yeah, believe they put a community exactly. reference in, Die Hard, in this right? movie 30 years before the show even came out. I frequently feel that way too. But hey, at least it introduced us to some stuff. Um. Okay, so whew, where to begin with Dead Poets Society. Let's start at the beginning. Okay. So. I, well, the opening scene is that long sequence where they introduce. Setting the tone. Setting the tone, I guess. Yeah. Okay. We're establishing place. We're establishing tone. Um, It takes us a couple minutes to meet our main characters. Because, like, when it, at first it's only showing the newest, like, the youngest yeah. kids who are going to the school. Um, this preparatory school where, like, you know, they, they, they live there. Um. Boys. And at first I was like, hey, are we going to like, is this a, a, a flashback? Like, are we going to like jump forward to seeing these kids later? But that, that would have been kind of pointless, right? Like, yeah. if, if you're just showing your main characters as kids for like the opening scene and then we jump forward, like. 
Maybe the um, whole point is to show kind of the, like, the setting, first of all, and show kind of the collectivist nature of the school, which, um, you know, is, is very much about conformity. So it's all about no matter how old you are, from, like, the youngest boy to the oldest man, and, and we see both of those groups of people here, that it, you all, you have to do the same thing, mm -hmm. you have to follow the same rules, and you have the same life set, set out for you. You're told not to cry no matter what. Yep. You're not allowed to, to speak your mind about anything. You just sit there and do what you're told in right. silence. And that's the whole point. Like, you know, the... <laughs> I mean, we were talking a little bit earlier about the time period that the movie is set in, which isn't ever that clear. It is 1959. Canonically, yes. It is 1959. And yet, that was a little odd to me because while it make, it makes sense for it to be set then... It feels like, you know, private boarding schools are, they are perennially stuck in a certain time period, or at least a certain bygone era, to the point that it feels like the movie could have been set the year it came out, and nothing would be that different. Like, it's not that in 1989, we were that much more enlightened as a society, you know, and that much more accepting of, like, alternative forms of masculinity or anything right the biggest difference would have been like um i don't know there would have been a computer in the school office maybe <laughs> like <laughs> no i get it i get that they wanted to preserve that kind of and you know this it... is sorry it... <laughs> <laughs> no i was just gonna say this is an interesting similarity between this and the truman show like they both kind of feel like they're in that liminal state between modern and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, kind of 1950s ideal. Right. Yes, they definitely are. Um, I don't know how old Peter Weir is. Neither. I don't know who wrote the screenplay, but potentially the time period could be related. When they were growing could, up. Yeah. Yeah, it's the 30-year cycle. I mean, it literally would have been 30 years exactly. between 59 and 89. I'm sure that Damn. was intentional. Yes. It, it does feel very much like it could have been a an expression of pain for things that happened when some of the people making the movie were making it. It would not surprise me at all. Like, it feels extremely personal. I don't know the story of Peter Weir or any of the screenwriters, like Caleb said, but it, it very much feels like they, if it didn't happen to them, that they knew people that this had happened to in some capacity. Yeah. Um... And, and I think, you know, that's, like, to jump into the big stuff right away, um, that's part of why this movie has resonated so much, is that even if the literal experience, you know, hasn't happened for people, kind of the ideas there feel very true, you know. Um, Some people's parents are stuck in 1959. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, but, yeah, so, so right away... Um, this is kind of an, an ensemble cast. Like, there's a few boys that we sort of follow. I would argue that What's-His-Face is the the main one, probably. Neil. Neil. Yes. Um, Neil Flynn? Yes. But um, th there are several other boys that kind of are are part of the story, have their own little arcs, and are influenced by Neil and by um, Robin Williams' character, Mr. Kitty. This is... Not important at all, but fun fact, Neil Flynn is actually the name of the actor that plays the Jane Adron Scrubs. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm not joking. What? <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, back to important matters. Fascinating. Um, 
And can I just say, he and Ethan Hawke look almost exactly the same. It drives me crazy. Like, they don't look that different in this movie. So whenever they're in a scene together, I'm just like, these white boys don't look different enough. Mm. See, I See, I think could of those always... other two boys. Okay, some of the others, yes. There is definitely a problem where some of them are like, I, which one? Wait, he, uh, wait, like, uh, whenever, like, the kid would hop on the bike to go see the girl at the yeah. school. The girl who liked at a different school. I would be like, where's Neil going on that bike? <laughs> and then he'd get there and I'd be like, oh, that's not Neil. <laughs> right, right. They, they have a big case of, of same face syndrome. But, sorry, what were you going to say? Nothing. I invalidated my own point. <laughs> I was going to say I tend to recognize Neil's face a bit more because I binged a fair amount of House back in the day. Okay, fair. Never and have I seen I think he House. has a fairly distinguishable face, but, um, you know, from a distance. Well, hey, I've been into Ethan Hawke for years now, and I still could barely tear, tell him apart yeah, from Yeah, you've never seen Neil. baby Ethan Hawke That's before. That's true. He's very baby. He's still all I that need baby to, fat on his face. I need face. to watch some of his stuff from the 90s, like when he was around my age. I mean, but that being said... Older Ethan Hawke, also some good shit. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that aside, he's very baby in this one. Um, extremely so. And um, yeah, so it's kind of like he ends up rooming with Neil. He's very, like, very awkward and shy. And Neil is, like, very, like, kind of confident and popular in everything. Right, he's the leader of the group. Exactly. And yet you, right away... Right away, you get introduced to his dad, the uh, <laughs> it, the best and worst character in the movie. Um, <laughs> the God, all of this movie is about breaking the spirit of young boys to try and turn them into what a certain generation's view of what men should be. Yeah, with the ex notable exception of Robin Williams, who is the only one trying to vouch for them and encourage them to be free thinkers which in turn would make them their own men yeah um and every other adult the scenes with the parents i know they hurt are rough yeah. to watch because <laughs> there are scenes with several of the boys and their parents and the moment they start to talk the parents just yell at them and shut them down and they'll say, don't talk back to me, or, oh, that's quite enough of that. Like, these boys are not allowed to make any decisions for their, themselves. They're not allowed to defend themselves or explain a situation or it's talking back. It's a yeah. very particular type of parenting, and it is omnipresent. It is in every adult in this movie except for Mr. Keaton. And that's so important. Like, it sucks to watch. It, it hurts. Like, especially for some of us, it, it is, you know, dare I say, a little triggering, but, like... It you really need that contrast. Like you need I'm sure some of the boys have like you know, nice parents who who just want them to live their lives and stuff. But it's important that we see so much of that extremely re like repressive kind of nineteen fifties ideal that I'm sure was still going strong in the eighties and in some ways for some people is still going strong today. Like it's you really need that contrast because <laughs> it's like that's why they're all so profoundly influenced by him is that this is probably the first time an authority figure has ever encouraged them to pursue that side of themselves right to think for themselves or to pursue an interest or like to disagree right you know right and um 
which you know and <laughs> once again to touch on the meta aspect is probably another reason that this resonated strongly for so many people is that like especially when you're very young there's nothing more powerful than having someone in an authority position like actually if you're not used to it happening like having someone in authority position actually encourage you and like tell you that you can be rebellious or you can be a free thinker you can disagree with what's happening to you that like, your opinions matter and you have right, agency your interiority matters like it that first once again i will say for some people like i know this wasn't everyone's experience but for a lot of us like that was not something that that you really got told growing up and um it's <laughs> you know it's especially painful because in so much as you have him over here encouraging them to think for themselves and be their own men, you know, quote unquote, you're constantly reminded like, oh, that is not without consequence in this world. Like, and that's, the movie has these great highs and these awful lows where it's like, you God go awful. you go from being like, yes, I, I can be my own man. I can think freely. I can pursue what I want in life. And then immediately be re being reminded immediately afterward that these are, you know, children. Like, these are people who who can, like, actually, if, if an adult who has guardianship over them tells them you can't do this, then they actually can't. And that that's what's really disturbing about it. And I think you actually see um, Mr. Keating realize that at a certain point, like, after he encourages Neil to be honest with his father because, you know, he's... He's taking it in good faith. He's like, oh, you know, if he's a good father, he'll listen to his son. Well, he's not a good father. So it's like he encourages him to be honest and tell him about his dreams. And then you kind of see it on his face that he's realizing like, oh, like all that I just said is for nothing because, you know, his father doesn't care. Like it, he can't like he's trapped and I, I have no way to help him beyond this point. And that's a really distressing thing, like especially now that I'm an adult. Like, I also see the other side of that. Like, it's a really distressing thing as an adult to look at a child and think, I I cannot help this child. Like, if, if their parents are shitty, if their parents want to do X to them within the bounds of legality and, you know, sometimes without of it, like, they're, what can I do? And that's, like, a really <laughs> disturbing thing that I'm, I'm glad the movie actually confronts that and like points out that that can happen so even though it is a very optimistic story it's also very realistic <laughs> in that regard that you know the for all you might inspire someone to to do do more than they thought they could there are actual real life circumstances that can 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 crush a person and i've i've talked a lot caleb you go um <laughs> This isn't going to lighten it up at all. Um, content <laughs> warning for yeah. this movie. There is um, a lengthy, Whoa, it's, it's lengthy scene leading up to the suicide of one of the characters. Um, it's painful. It does not let you look away for a second except for not, the actual the music. Moment. Did you notice the music during that sequence? I didn't, actually. It's a persistent, never-ending, and never-changing drone. Oof up to the point that there's a cut and then the dad says what was that sound mm. which it's almost more impactful that you don't hear 
the actual sound. Yeah, I think it was tasteful to 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 leave for all the that scene that entire sequence does force you to look at what is happening at at least it, it like spares us that part but like everything else it very much is like you have to watch the entire thing play out so let's talk about like the stuff before that um god so the boys find, have this unconventional english teacher he literally has them tear out like the first 20 pages of their textbook. Um, which... I know the first time when that sequence was playing and they were talking about like judging uh, the importance of a poem. I was like, "There, this can't be like they are going to this is going to be subverted in some way because this is the worst thing I ever right. heard of. And then it comes back in a funny way at the very end of the movie. Um, um, I'm trying to remember. So it's after Mr. Keating gets fired. Spoilers. Um, yeah. and the headmaster comes in and is teaching them and he tells them to read the introduction and he said, sir, it's not here. Right. And he was like, then yes. somebody else read it. He said, sir, it's not in any of our books. We all, we tore, <laughs> they it, tore out. it out. <laughs> um, the, the, these boys have been crushed and grounded into dust and turned into grades, fac- manufacturing machines, um, that, you know, the, someone shows up and tells them to seize the day, have, gives them joie de vie, permission to enjoy life. Um, and they take it to heart, at least a handful of them do, um, and start meeting in secret to read poetry, which they didn't care about before. But this new man in their life who they are starting to look up to, they're like, well, he did it. We want to be like him. And so they all start to grow and at first only reading poetry from the book and realizing like, holy crap, like this is making me feel something. Um, <laughs> I've never felt anything before. Right. And then all of them growing to, to start producing their own poetry, or at least some of them. We don't see poems from all of them. Um, the implication is Yeah. There. Ethan Hawke getting pulled out of his shell first by Neil and then by the teacher, yeah. by Mr. Keating. Um, I love that To scene. being forced to like improvise poetry on the spot Mm -hmm. and it's amazing it's a great scene such a great i love that one um yeah and it's it's that is really what it feels like when you're a young person and like an an authority figure like tells you something new something inspiring like it's like it gives you permission in a way to like (laughs) to see things differently like even if you don't need quote unquote permission, it's like it's always it never even occurred to you before someone told you that you could. <laughs> right. Um and so Neil's main conflict throughout it is that he wants to do various things and his dad tells him no. Even though he has straight A's. He wants to be the editor of the school paper. I know. Which Mr. Keating was. Um, I was gonna be like, if my kid had straight A's, I'd be like, you do whatever you want. Like, right? <laughs> I wouldn't even care but unless he's they started like, to, failing not, or something. He's not allowed to do that because he might start fostering ideas of doing things other than being a doctor. Getting ideas, um, thinking, and so that that continues. Like this first scene with his dad is his dad telling him he can't be the editor of the school paper. Which, like, why not? I, that that looks look, good for college. That would look good on a transcript. I know, I know. Um, Maybe he, it was a different time. He auditions for A Midsummer Night's Dream, which we're currently in for a second time. <laughs> right, um, I know. And he gets the part of Puck, and then he does a single performance, and his dad is like, 
what the hell are you doing? And he says, I have straight A's. And his dad is like, it doesn't matter. You're going to go to Harvard and then be a doctor. And so we have the next 10 years of your life planned out. And you can't do anything for the next 10 years, even after you're an adult, that we don't explicitly say you can do. Yeah. Right? Because his dad shows up and says, you disobeyed me. You're, even though his dad did not technically explicitly say no acting or you can't be in the play because you know uh what's the ask for uh forgiveness not permission, right? <laughs> yeah technically exactly. he didn't disobey anything his dad was just pissed um he's mad that he like forged that letter from him which i guess i never i didn't fair, quite get the but... point of that because i didn't understand who he was writing the letter to or what the content of it was he literally he sits down and starts to write a letter from his dad to i guess the director of the show and it wasn't clear to me what it was going to be yeah i guess that's true i I didn't like if if you don't maybe it was a letter of him for like pretending to be his dad saying that he had permission to be in the show but like he'd already auditioned and gotten the part right so i I don't know i don't know it was confusing um maybe that's how they did in the 50s uh who else? We've got one of the boys is in love with a girl who is the engaged. girl, the girl, <laughs> the girl in the movie. <laughs> Even though she is engaged while in high school, long which term. Maybe that ha- he said she's practically engaged, so okay. like basically like it was. Sounds like it was planned by their families dating. almost. It probably was um, if they're like rich people or whatever. And. I don't know that uh, that seems to kind of that seems to end up working out for him. Basically, the only thing the, the entire to movie that how does. It ends. No, it, oh, it's weird. It looks there are threads that look like they're gonna get picked up later and then don't. Okay, yeah. so he shows up at their school. Yeah, to um, be weird. The, the, the boys go to an all boys school, <laughs> and he takes the bike over to the public high school where this girl go, attends and reads her a poem in front of her classmates, and her boyfriend's scummy friend looks out and sees him like there's a shot that's just of that guy looking at him and so you assume at some point they're gonna come back and kick his ass but then like the kid invites the kid just invites her to go see a play with him and then like they're good that's it they're gucci yeah am i misremembering i i don't think that because after that because immediately after the play is um the stuff that happens with neil and so, you know, that subplot's not quite as important anymore. Yeah, and um, then after that, it's all about the fallout from... Um, Mr. Keating getting fired. Yeah. So... I don't... I don't... I honestly don't remember if it comes to... I have, I have seen this movie exactly once. Um, and, um, well, okay, I rewatched the first half of it, like, when I was watching it with Caleb. But then I had to leave and didn't get to watch the second half. So my my memory of exactly what happens is a little foggy, but yeah, that that one just kind of fizzle out. Um, but it's fine. That one's not my favorite subplot anyway because it's like a very similar one to stuff that we've seen a million times. Yes. And I have to say, for like a movie that extols the virtues of romance so much, this boy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, which is fair. He's a teenager. No, he's doing <laughs> the um the what's the, he's doing the Tom Haverford method. <laughs> what are the most be- what are the five most beautiful words in the English language, Stephanie? Sorry. You wore me down. Four. <laughs> you wore me down. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't feeling it. I was like, okay, you literally have a line that that says the like, you know, poetry, beauty, romance, love. These are the things we stay alive for and I'm like, "Yes, brother. Yes." Um, but 
show me a little more of that, maybe a little bit more. Um, instead, it's very classic 80s, like, oh, this girl's in love with a jerk. I, I just have to show up over. and tell her right, multiple times show. how there's, into her I there, am. Yeah, there's very little actual connection between them. They're very briefly in that one scene where they're kind of, like, actually talking. I know, like, crazy. They're... Uh, right, that's it, a decent <laughs> scene, but there needs to be something after that because this that scene is explicitly set up or by the end of that sequence. She, uh, it is determined that if she will go to the play with him tonight, and if she doesn't have a good time, he will never talk to her again. And then, like, yeah, something has to happen after that because if they're that. just sitting in silence watching a play. How is she having a great time or not? Like, <laughs> right? The, you might be enjoying more, the play. I was going to say, isn't that more based on whether or not she enjoyed the play, not whether she enjoyed his company? <laughs> right. There would need to be a sequence of the, with them together like no, after that of her having a good Which time. Which makes but... me wish I could remember exactly how it ties up. But the fact that I, I can't it remember it makes me think that it doesn't. See, the thing is, the unspoken... Unsp- the thing about this movie is that there should be a lot of gay shit going on, at least subtextually, and there isn't And this really. all-boys Catholic school? I was going to say, this is an all-boys school. They're talking about repression. They're talking about, like, old conservative dudes. They're talking about romance. Like, the, there should have been at least a gay subplot, but there isn't any of that because it was the 80s probably like fine but (laughs) i'm honestly like so you're telling me all the these boys are like staring at each other and reciting Reciting poetry poetry to each other with not a girl in sight there is not a woman for miles (laughs) like this is basically the navy like and we all know what happens in the navy yeah yeah it's I mean, the the fucking... The, it's the, not the, gay if it's underway. Yes, that's not what I was going to say. Oh my god. I was going to say, um, who sings the YMCA statue? Oh, the... the Village people. The Village people, people made a whole song about it, okay? Shh, in case you don't know, Stephanie. I don't You're know. not aware of I, In the Navy? I mean, I knew that the Village people were gay, right? Right? That's... They were gay. Put an asterisk on <laughs> they were, that. They were gay We don't need to get on... on we, <laughs> That's a whole, like, I would have to go Google it okay, and tell you yes, the specifics. At least maybe it's not that yes. cut and dry. Um, the, anyway. The point being, that would have been a perfect subplot for this, but I guess they couldn't quite go there yet. And so instead we have this incredibly half-baked, um, non-gay romance that could have been a lot better. But it's fine because the rest of the movie is great. And even this subplot isn't so bad that it detracts from anything. Um, then, and... Oh, God. What else is there? I think we should jump to yes. <laughs> the post-Neil's death stuff. Because that's all one. Right. Everything that it's... it's That's where everything really fucking goes to shit. Right. Neil dies and then everything goes to shit and all of those... There's no more subplots. It's yeah. all... It's all one. So, the school is looking for someone to blame. And they already don't like... Mr. Keating, Robin Williams. Even character. though they just hired him, so it's um, like, what are you thinking? They don't like his unorthodox methods. Yeah. I don't know who interviewed him. I don't know who made the decision to right? hire him. Right, like Seems they like had kind to have known, fault. like just by talking to him, there's no way that that would have slipped through the cracks. He's obviously not going to be orthodox. Like, um, who knows? And so they decide to pin it on him. Is the way I read it, especially yeah, the very sequence. Much so. When um, it's scapegoating. they're making the kids sign the paper. Yeah, that's, so, that's so stressful. Oh, this started kind of because one of the characters was who became the editor of the paper 
slipped in a joke article saying they should allow girls at the school and signed it the Dead Poets Society. Which, which is fair. <laughs> like, I guess if you're proud of your work, you sign it, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> right. And that's what first clues the faculty into their existence. And that's what gives them something to go off of after Neil dies. Um, and, oh, no, what gives... It's it's the one kid narking them or narking on them. Dude, he straight up um, did that in the middle of an assembly too, like or that like the prank call he did, or is that not what you're talking about? I was know, shocked by that. I was like, why would you screw yourself like this? Do you know what narking means? Yes, I know what narking means. I, I meant was talking the ginger about... kid turning them all in. Okay, yes, that kid. Sorry, I was thinking about that one kid basically like completely boning himself when they were in the middle of that one assembly. Yeah, and they could have totally gotten away with it. Like he got a call and like basically basically was just like haha yeah it's me i think all of you are fools oh i'm in trouble now what a shocker like i don't know it was just like how are you not afraid to do that i don't know i guess my man's got really inspired with courage anyways yes the one kid narked on them yes that did happen and told the teachers everything and so they all had to come clean because they already had all the names and anyone who didn't come clean was gonna get expelled from this most prestigious prep school in like the east coast and you know their parents would have killed them um absolutely and so everyone has to come forward but the thing is they're making the kids sign a paper saying that mr keating basically encouraged them or forced them to form this dead poet society when the kids found out about it on their own um even though it's never and i guess they would call this a criticism even though i'm sure you could you could provide a counter argument it's never entirely clear to me what's so awful to any of the the people who are in power like about them having this club like it's a school there are going to be clubs like it, the kids have been acting out because since they formed this uh group yes they in, consider it seditious under, or whatever yes Yes, that's precisely it, Stephanie. Yeah, it's a little vague. It's more just like the man doesn't want you to appreciate poetry or something. <laughs> but like, I guess. Yeah, like, but yeah, it's obviously more than that. It's a right? stand-in the... for the man not wanting you to do a bunch of things. And oh, there's just this awful sequence where like the dean is reading out the exact allegations and pinning everything on Mr. Keating, and the kids are all forced to sign it. Yeah. And then that leads to the final sequence with the famous "Oh, Captain, my Captain!" Everyone standing on their chair on their it's desks. It's a good scene. It's beautiful. It's a good scene. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's a little heavy in the second half. Well, it's funny because in some ways, like when you look back after seeing the second half, you're like, okay, that it makes sense that that would happen, but. But when you're watching the first half, you don't really see it coming. No, because the first half is so light. Right. Well, it's joyous. Like you know, it, it there's obviously the the darker elements there, but like it's so much just like that vicarious joy of like discovering something when you're young and like learning something about yourself, like and kind of that like thrill of sticking it to the man but in a way that's not really bringing about a lot of consequences and then it's like oh right sticking it to the man does right have yeah and then the second half is entirely consequences yeah, right right fucking around and finding out um <laughs> <laughs> a two-act structure i know i know it, 
Yes, and it, it's just, and the worst part of it is, like, as they were, as Caleb was saying, like, you know, they're trying to pin the whole thing on Mr. Keating. It's like, obviously, when a, a young person commits suicide, like, people want someone to blame because it's such a horrible thing. The brain doesn't want to comprehend it, and right. yet they, and they cannot don't blame put the, the blame. Right. Yeah. They cannot put the blame where the blame should be, which is primarily with his fucking father. Secondly, with his mother, who never once stood up for him. Like, <laughs> the female representation in this movie is a um, girl who exists entirely as a love interest. And uh, honestly, to be fair, I'm, I don't mean that this is a bad character type, because this is absol- absolutely a type of person that exists, is the mom who absolutely will not stand up for their child ever when their dad slaps them around. Because that's very much, like, a very real thing. But it's just, like, so sad. It's like, those are the ones. That's all you get. Like, I don't know. I just, like, feel bad for her conceptually. But, like, in practice, I'm like, well, maybe you should have stood up to your husband for once in your life. But you couldn't do it. So, this is what you get. Um, Anyway. So, the point being that, like, that... Those are the people who are to blame. And, you know, by extension, that whole culture is to blame. But, like, they can't do that. They can't blame themselves. So, scapegoating. You know, that's what happens. And it makes total sense. You know, it fits into the movie. It's infuriating, but it makes sense. I'm looking forward to talking about the true (laughs) (laughs) You know, just the light subject of a man whose entire life is a lie. I I think that's about all I have to say about Dead Poets Society without... I don't know. I was going to say, I could probably say plenty more, but I think we've covered the, the important beats. Right. There's plenty to say, but I'm not smart enough to say it, I guess. <laughs> uh, Caleb, you know what Mr. Keating would say about that? <laughs> or whatever he says to Ethan Hawke's character. Like, he doesn't think what he has to say is of any value, but it is. <laughs> what, you, what you have to say is of value. And that's, that's, I think that's beautiful. <laughs> that is beautiful. Some of us really would have liked, or it would have done some of us a lot of good to have watched this in our formative yes. years, but we never were able to. <laughs> a central tenet of my personality that Stephanie fails to grasp is that sometimes when I say I have nothing to say, it's not that I think my ideas are bad. It's that sometimes my head really is just empty. <laughs> <laughs> A a concept that Stephanie could not relate to. No, I I wish I could relate to my head being empty. I'd probably have to do drugs for that, but it would have to be the right kind of drug. Otherwise, my head would be way too unempty. (laughs) Full. (laughs) That that one, yes, that word. (laughs) Okay, I think that's our first half. Yeah. Okay, all right, we'll catch you guys in the second half. Hey everyone! Thanks for checking out our show. Give us a follow on Twitter at SoundsFilmiliar and let us know any film pairings you would like us to cover. Did you also know that we have a sister show that covers cryptids, UFOs, and anything else strange and spooky? If that sounds like your thing, be sure to listen to I Hope You Exist on your favorite podcast service. We love you. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Sounds Familiar. I'm Caleb, in case you missed the first half. Yeah, (laughs) we were introducing ourselves. Yes, in case you missed the first half, because you just don't want to hear us talk about Dead Poets Society, in which case, what? You know, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes, 
people just listen to a podcast for the fun Truman Show trivia tidbits. Yeah. By trivia, I mean they're all geographical. <laughs> geographical trivia. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, just get it out of the way now. Large portions of the Truman Show were filmed about an hour away from where we live. Um, actually, probably less than an hour. And there were several sequences filmed about a mile from where I grew up. Yeah, this is uh, pretty much the only movie I've seen that uh, actually has parts that were shot in places that I recognize. Yeah. Like, or places that I recognize from my own life, which is kind of weird. Yeah, and it's a shame Justin isn't here because there's a sequence that he would have been old enough to, like, he would have been about four at the time, I guess. He lived, like, half a mile away from where they were filming. Like, he lived close. Um, yeah. That... And he said he's just imagining them, like, shutting down the bridge and his parents just bitching about having to <laughs> deal with the traffic. Right? Yeah, it's weird, like, to see that bridge because I've actually, like, driven across that bridge many times. And th that's pretty much the only movie I can say that about. Like, I've been to, like, bigger cities, obviously, so I've been to, like, other places that were in movies, but this is the only one that I've, like, you know, consistently been around, which is all yeah. I think about. I guess this is not a particularly popular area to shoot movies, which is fair, but I do think it's kind of interesting that a movie in which the setting is so important was actually shot here. <laughs> like, yeah, it is funny. The, um, the place where a lot, like, the town square... Um, I go there every year for record store day. <laughs> like we go there every couple months just to like, you know, somewhere to go for the weekend for the day, you know, on a Saturday. Yeah. Um, so that's fun. Now we've got all of that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the Truman Show. So very different type of movie. Not so different. Yeah. This is <laughs> this is probably my third or fourth time seeing the Truman Show. Um. Lifelong Jim Carrey fan, just like Robin Williams, um, unlike Stephanie. And I will we'll get into my Jim Carrey ideas later. Uh, I this I don't think I've seen it in like nine years. Holy shit! I think really? the last time I watched it was when I had you watch it with me sometime after, like right after we I, we graduated. Yeah, I was gonna say the first time I watched it was with you. Was with you. The tradition continues. Yes, I know. Um, That's been a that pretty that was the last time I saw it. Oh wow. I'm surprised by that. Um, I think I've seen it once or twice since then. Um, yeah, that I, I first saw this movie with Caleb as well. I, I wasn't really aw even aware of it before that. Um, and we had a double feature of like this and then Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, the other Jim Carrey movie I like. <laughs> um, <laughs> Stephanie's not a fan of Batman Forever, obviously. The, well, I don't know. I've only the that's another Batman one I've movie. only seen once. The thing about Jim Carrey is that I actually much prefer his non-comedic acting, or that is to say, I prefer his acting when he's not being funny. TM because I don't know his comedic style is not really my thing. It's extremely cartoonish, it, uh, bordering on the unsettling, uh, frankly, and, and I don't. It's not really my style. Um, Probably why he was what's such a brilliant casting choice for the mask. Yes, cartoony and on borderline unsettling is like that's it. You pegged it. <laughs> yes, no, I know. Which also makes me think. I wonder about his being cast for this movie because in some ways it seems to fit, but in some ways I feel like he almost was 
too zany for it. Like, I almost feel like he should have been ever so slightly more normcore, if that makes sense. Like, to really sell the whole... It, ostensibly, he's just an average guy thing. A normal I, guy. I kind of agree. But the thing is, like, early on, he has to be entertaining enough to have made good television. Yeah, so we got lucky yes. there. And then as he starts to get more zany, it's because his mind is starting to snap. Um, right, but it just feels like he's just becoming more Jim Carrey. It doesn't really feel like he's actually snapping. He's just being who he always was, which maybe is also kind of the point. I don't know. But I don't know. Man's descent into madness is just him becoming more and more like Jim Carrey. Right, like... <laughs> By the time he reaches the end, all he can say is, Let me try Oh my god. No, that's almost literally like, I'm sorry, every time he lapses into full Jim Carrey mode, it takes me right the fuck up out of it. Like, up until those points, I'm very invested in the movie and I'm like, really like, oh shit, this is interesting. And then he does the Jim Carrey faces and mannerisms and I'm like, and we're out. Like, <laughs> and now I know that that's Jim Carrey. But maybe that's also kind of the point. Maybe being lifted out of it is also sort of intentional because of that's what the whole thing is about, is awareness that you're watching a show. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's a movie about making movies about movies about making yes. movies. I mean, damn, Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> uh, also, uh, someone who worked with Jim Carrey on Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Charlie Kaufman? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was the director of, of that. Um, anyway, okay, for a so second that's... I was like, Yvette Nicole Brown? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, um, Charlie Kaufman. But Jim Carrey. No. Anyways, so, <laughs> I yeah, the, honestly, that is my only real criticism of the movie. Because I think the movie is, is, is pretty close to perfect. It's very, very good. There are a couple other things that are, I don't know if they're criticisms so much as, like, frustrations uh, for me. But, um, yeah, I, I guess my only really big one would be that, like, I just think that the Jim Carreyness of it all is a bit much at, at times in a way that really should it's, not have been. It's like my pro the, the only problem I have with 1917 is... It's the famous people showing up. All of the incidental characters yeah. are are fucking famous people. Like when you get to the very end and you're at that incredibly tense scene and you're just like, oh, it's this is just Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> I get my as I've probably said before on the podcast. My only real defense of that would be like maybe it's supposed. To, it's all it almost works because like the the characters the main characters see them as these very important people and like famous people you know kind of like that they've probably heard about and so the fact that we perceive them as famous doesn't really matter because they are supposed to kind of carry that air of importance i don't know but i i definitely see what you mean for sure um yeah i think it, the that did take me out a little bit in this one i think it would have been cool to cast an unknown but also, once again, I circle back around to maybe it wouldn't work as better with an unknown because the whole idea of the movie is that the viewer is watching someone who is a celebrity, even though the someone doesn't know that they're a celebrity. <laughs> I don't know. Ah! <laughs> back to 1995. Movies about making movies about making movies. <laughs> yes, 
back to the the ancient year of 1995 when we were each a single year old. year old. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> okay. So I guess we'll just jump right in. Mm. I'm diving in. Um, mm-hmm. Jim Carrey is a man who, what's his name? Truman Burbank. I was going to say, I don't even remember what his last name was. Um, whose la- entire life is a television show and he does not know. Every single person Everyone in his life else knows. knows. Every single person in the world, just about. Every person, yes, no, you're right. It's the most watched TV show in the world, basically. And everyone on the planet knows except him. His wife knows. She probably had to audition for the part. Oh, his yeah, we'll mom knows. That. She also had to audition for that part because he was a an unwanted pregnancy who was adopted by a corporation, um, which. The first ever adoption, legal adoption of a child by a corporation. Who really hitting on that corporations as people thing before it even became a big national discoursing point. Yeah, this was like uh, six years ahead of the curve, I guess. Yeah, real dark shit. Um, and what? It's just a story of him slowly figuring it out, yeah, slowly realizing it, and his struggle to escape. Um. And, you know, the singular person that cares about him. Kind of. At least at least cares about him in a way that is, like, actionable and, and like, true to, to, to something that doesn't involve this lie. Right, because, like, spoilers, even his wife cares more about being an actor on the show than being his wife. She literally gets pulled off by saying, like, this is no working environment. Or, like, this is no way to I'm, be treated on a set. Like, yeah, I was honestly... I'm wondering if I should go ahead and get into this now. Just do it. So, you know, because I'm me, and one of my favorite things to explore in a movie at any given time is weird, tense, unusual interpersonal relationships. Like, and... That is probably one of my main points of dissatisfaction with the movie, which I love and consider to be close to a perfect movie, I should I should hasten to clarify, is that the three people in his life who I want to know the most about, obviously, are his quote-unquote father, quote-unquote mother, and quote-unquote wife. Like, because those are the people that should be closest to him in this this world that they've constructed for him. And yet we know extremely little about his relationship to any of them. Um, Even when his father shows back up in his life, we don't, we don't get to see the scenes where they're together. Right. We don't even get to know how that affects him. I guess it's the implication is sort of supposed to be there that... At this point, he's starting to realize the lie, and so he doesn't completely buy into it. But even that, we don't really get to see, and I would love to see that. I would love to see a conversation between him and his quote-unquote long-lost father where it's, you know, all the cameras are in them expecting it to be some kind of, like, beautiful reunion, but instead he's just like, what really happened to you? Where have you been? Like, did was all my trauma a lie? Like, I would have liked to see a little bit... Like, obviously the implication is, is there that... Yes, they completely manufactured PTSD for this child, you know, to keep him uh, afraid of going across the water. But I would have loved to see him actually interrogate that with another person. And like, 
It's his dad shows up in an attempt to like either get back on the show or help Truman, presumably just to get back on. Well, the they show. brought him back and on. They, no, they not the first time. Him. Oh, was, well, that's no, true. He they did pivot it. to bringing him back that in. Was weird. That's another part I didn't completely get. So it, the dad shows up as a way to either a reconnect with Truman or b just get back on the show. It's unclear which. And would have liked to know more about that. The showrunners, the showrunner realizes that they have to address it somehow, and so they work with the actor who plays his dad because he would have to go along with it if they're going to play the whole amnesia angle right to bring him back on the show and reunite with truman and it's a huge ratings thing right but all we see is the re uh, reuniting sequence like we don't get to see right. anything after that like Nothing. him going to the to getting a beer with his dad and talking or something like you know see- it's just truman goes back to the status quo what I would have, what would have really been interesting to me now that you bring it up is if his father had been trying to get back on the show because he was like, I, I actually, Wanna that was you. my son. Like, I, I cared about him. Like, I, even if it was acting like I actually developed like paternal feelings for this child, you know, and like I want to see him again and be part of his life, like, that would have been a really interesting kind of a complex thing because there's some moral grayness there with like, you know, this is a guy who is culpable and like, creating this lie for him and yet has genuine feelings for him any of that would have been good to know or like any idea about how uh the mother like that's his whole ass mother there at least that's what he thinks and yet absolutely nothing beyond she's this like waspy kind of distant lady which probably worked the, well for the character right the, the mom and the wife and even the best friend they're all in the same boat they know their role, and they are first and foremost actors there to pretend to be someone important See, in Truman's so life, and they are subservient that. to the show. I'm so I want I would honestly love to see another alternate movie like from their perspective and see how that affects them like psychologically. I mean, obviously, the answer for for the movie that we're supposed to take away is it doesn't really like there beyond like some feelings of guilt and frustration every now and then, but I. It seems like there's potential for so much more. This movie is nothing if not potential for days. And unfortunately, only some of it is acted upon because it's it's so, you know, the possibility for storytelling in this universe is pretty boundless, which is cool. Like, but it can be frustrating when it's not touched upon because I want to know so much more about not just his life, but the life of like so many of the people who are complicit in this like the and we get very little of that um most of the movie kind of functions as sort of like a mystery or a i don't know a paranoia thriller it's it's truman attempting attempting to slowly unravel the mystery what's happening to him because he has suspected for a long time he suspected since high school when his first true in love um revealed to him that you know he was on a tv show and everyone was lying to him and everything was fake and then she was taken away she was disappeared mm-hmm. um which fortunately in this universe just means she was fired from the show and that's like normally <laughs> yeah. um or in his knowledge they moved to fiji which is why he has that lingering kind of fixation on, on with fiji right um which they picked you know to try and dissuade him because it was the exact right. opposite point on the planet mm-hmm. um which Very symbolic. I guess, you know, is kind of close in reality. It's funny. I There was a link post on Reddit a couple months ago that was like, find out the exact point opposite from you on the planet. 
And it turns out most of America, the opposite point is just the middle of the Pacific the Ocean. ocean. <laughs> because the Pacific is so it's massive. It's so freaking huge. <laughs> and you know. That's, Not as exciting. That's where Fiji is, but right? that's fair. In the Pacific. Is that? I actually don't know where Fiji is. I'd be, a, I'd be a terrible ocean. Truman. I mean, I mean, yeah, you'd be a terrible Truman. I'm a terrible, I'm terrible at geography. <laughs> that's literally my worst subject. Oh, sweetie. Um, I know. <laughs> oh, I'm, come on. Come on. <laughs> financial Ridiculous. instrument global identifier oh, that does okay. not well, that's that does Fiji. not help me it would help <laughs> if i spelled fiji correctly yeah like south help. pacific yeah see okay it's an archipelago of more than 300 islands oh crap that's a big archipelago yeah he's gonna have to go to a lot of islands looking for her well he doesn't but he would have no she she stuff. runs to the studio yeah exactly good for her um no yeah that which it's I I love this subplot because it's it, it's very romantic in a way. It's like first love as as awakening kind of like um which I'll get into at a later point. It it takes up very little screen time, but it still feels just the fleshed presence out enough. It is very felt like. Yeah. Um and yet it, it is a little funny because it's like um it seems almost impossible that the only well, okay. Even as I say that, I was going to say it seems impossible that the only time anyone would have ever broken character and told him it's a TV show would be this one time. But technically, there they, there they was did that show montage. those couple of times that was supposed to be. But I guess those never really resonated with him because he was just like, "Who the fuck?" Like, <laughs> no, they they intervened quick enough well, that, that he didn't too, see yes. them. I know. It, it it seems a little improbable, but. I guess we're, it's not that much of a stretch of the imagination that people could be willing to put their moral compasses aside for, you know, uh, you know, money, fame, job security, fair enough, like. Yeah, um, I mean, we talked about this with um, the actress who plays Truman's wife. She was basically potentially the most famous actress in the world. She was married to Truman. Right. Like, I, that's. That's going to get you something, right? Yes. It's... <laughs> Once again, I just want to know more about her because, like, you know, from what we're meant to understand, that she had to have sex with this man. Like, she had to... She was going to conceive a child with this man. She had to live with him every single day. It was a day. bit, Stephanie. She did. <laughs> I, look, I just slept with him as a look, bit. <laughs> no, she's dedicated to her craft, you know? No, I obviously so, but I'm so interested in that particular pathology. I just want an entire movie about her. Like, it's a, such a Machiavellian character. I, I'm immensely fascinated. Um, even that being said... This is pretty funny. Uh, now that I think about it, she's not that great of an actress. Not no. Laura Linney. Laura Linney's great. I, I meant. Um... I have a few things I want to say about Laura Linney. <laughs> I should have opened the sequence of the segment yeah. with that. <laughs> no, I, I meant the character. Okay. The character that Laura Linney is playing, this character who is playing Truman's wife, she. <laughs> I don't know how she got this part because she is not selling it. Like she, <laughs> she is like a Twilight Zone character. Like yes, that she stares at non-existent cameras and announces random facts about products she bought at the grocery store. Yeah, that she's day. constantly grinning. Like 
Um, see, his mom at least is a viable character because she she seems like a person who would actually exist. Like she's just kind of like a very waspy sort of distant mother type. Um, but whereas his wife is very much like lifted out of a horror movie that's set in the 1950s. <laughs> that that's her. Stepford wives. Yes, right, right. She's a Stepford wife. Like, um, but willingly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. She is playing a Stepford wife. And it just kind of feels like, okay, so out of all the probably, they probably had hundreds of actresses vying for this part. Like, she's the one that got it, and this is how she... Oh, maybe she was the best 17-year-old that auditioned. You know, that's probably was. It was probably a child actor, like, foot in the door kind of thing. Like, she was the best at the time, and now, well, they're kind of stuck with her. Like, um... Anyway, so right, the problem with the TV show that actually stars a seventeen-year-old is you kind of need to cast other seventeen-year-olds. You can't. You probably couldn't legally cast a twenty-five-year-old to play the seventeen-year-old's love interest. I was gonna say if they can get away with this other shit, I mean, like, God forbid they violate the age. Right, right. Oh, speaking of which, oh my god, the high school flashback sequences with old Jim Carrey. The, the or or yeah, just like. These people who are obviously in their 30s, like, mm-hmm. playing, like... <laughs> yeah. It, it, honestly, I think it would be... If it was played ever so slightly less straight, it would... I don't really know how to articulate it, but it would work just a bit better if it was more obviously played as funny. Yeah. That, like, the <laughs> these people are supposed no. to be high schoolers. I do appreciate that the... The film attempts to convey that flashback to us as, like, you know, yes. Tr- Truman is looking at something from his past. He's looking at keepsakes. And it's shown to us as the audience as, like, the showrunners are playing a flashback so everyone remembers because, you know, this happened uh, uh, 13 years ago. But I refuse to believe that the showrunners would acknowledge her existence. Right? That didn't actually happen. Yeah, not Which, that I think it's about weird it. Because when the sequence ends... The people in the Truman Show bar are like react to it, and they're like, "Oh, that one's on the be- the the greatest hits tape." And I'm like, "Come on! If we hadn't addressed it, I would have believed that this was the guise of being Aww. like a TV show flashback, but Aww. only we were seeing it. But the people in Universe saw it. But I also refuse to believe that Kristoff would ever let them acknowledge what's her name existence. You know? That being said, I don't know. Kristoff seems like a guy who can roll with the punches. Like, for yeah, all his is. other faults, like, he he definitely is able to react to to uh, the chaos of Truman's life or the chaos of life happening to Truman and spin it in his favor. Okay, let me put it this way. I refuse to believe they would have shown the sequence on the beach where she tries to tell them that, tries okay. to tell them that it's fake. Yes, that's fair. But that being said... There has to be an acknowledgement that the audience knows that it's fake and knows it's a TV show, and therefore if it comes up... Right, but they run the biggest TV show in the world, run by a bunch of massive egos. They're not going to want to acknowledge their failures. Yes. That's why they so tightly control everything. They, They won't acknowledge where they fall short. I guess it was never clear to me if the audience saw all that stuff that happened on the beach. Christoph, the it's implied that the audience did see it because it's shown to us through like the lens of one of the cameras and it's like shown on a TV. Mm. But 
again, I refuse to believe it because Kristoff <laughs> essentially thinks of himself as God mm. and he will not admit that he has done anything wrong. And so any he would he wouldn't air a clip of someone making a fool of him. But and yet I wonder because he basically says like he gives his his personal uh mission statement which is that like Truman's world is not how the world is, but it's how it should be. So I think that there is an acknowledgement, like a an explicit acknowledgement from him that this world is not true. I think he's not trying to sell it as true, but as what should be true. You say it's as it should be, and he is the one deciding what should be. Right. This is his world where no, he gets yes. to play God. No, I, I, I agree with that. I'm just saying that I think he's not necessarily trying to convince the audience that this is not a TV show. He's perfectly willing no. to acknowledge that the audience knows that. And therefore, I don't think he would try to erase the girl telling him mm. that it was a TV show. I think he would acknowledge it and be like, but she shouldn't be doing that, so we're not on her no, side. see, I'm going to disagree there. because uh. So he's not trying to hide from the audience that it's a TV show. No. But he's trying to hide it from Truman. And he wants... Well, yes. He maintains absolute control over this world. He can control what time the sun rises, okay? Yes, but that... So, he does not have a problem with the audience... Believe in knowing it's a TV show or being aware of the artifice. Mm -hmm. But the one rule they cannot break is that Truman cannot be made aware of that artifice. And he would not want, he would not share. He's like President Snow, right? Like to make a, 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 a sophomoric reference, I guess, to, to, to the Hunger Games. Sure. To, because he do, it's, that's why President Snow killed fucking what's his name at the end of the first Hunger Games because they found a way. To make a fool of President Snow. I don't think... Senna? And that was the second one, I think. No, no, no. The first one with the berries. Who is the architect? Not Senna. Oh, not... Okay, well, he also got killed. The right. other one. Um, yes. Crane. Yes, Crane. Seneca Crane. Yes. Um, C names. Yes. A lot of people get killed for anyway, a lot of reasons. So, this totally doesn't matter because this is all speculation right we're just theorizing at this point i'm arguing Mm. that he views himself as a god of that world and as truman's father and potentially as his godly father because he controls everything including who his parents were god the father Um, and he would not allow clips of him being made a fool of to circulate sure they circulate on you know home videos and on the internet, presumably, but he himself would not air that. I don't agree, but I don't care enough to keep arguing. So sure, you I think are it was correct. a good segment. Though. You're correct. <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't know. It's it. I guess my usual reading of the film is just to take what's being shown as face value, which is to say, if the people are reacting to something. And talking about something, then that is the thing that they saw and are reacting to. Mm, but isn't whether or not major, it should be isn't one of the major concepts of this movie distinguishing between what is and isn't artifice? Right, but what is and artifice is entirely that. within the world of the dome. I'm just saying we can extend that to the movie itself, mm, distinguishing no. between what is and isn't artifice. I think the movie would choose to distinguish between those by having the artifice take place entirely within Truman's. world world and everything that is shown outside of it to be not artifice because that's the whole point because outside of it is the real world i don't know <laughs> it's, it 
that that's the kind of conversations the movie invites, which which is a good thing. It was a good one. I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, the and I mean it's you know it also there is through the whole thing a blurring of the lines of what is and isn't real because like Truman has to go to work like. He's not, he doesn't have a, right, I know, I can't get over this part. In this perfect ideal world that is watched by, like, ostensibly millions of people, he still has to go to a regular boring job. Like, they couldn't have thought of something better. 1.5 billion people during the reunion with his dad. Yeah, so, so for, like, a quarter of the world. I, this man better, like, when he leaves, he better have a massive stipend from all of the uncollected paychecks he's been getting over the years. Exactly, yeah, this man but getting paid has been going to his regular ass insurance. I mean, granted, like his regular ass insurance job does pay for him to to stay in like a nice house in in Look, that area. I, but I we we had a whole conversation about whether about the legality of this, um, and it's ultimately not important because the movie tell us tells us it is legal within the world, and there are people who oppose it, and that's all you need to know. What uh, we discussed, or at least I guess what I posited, was while he's a minor, it's questionably legal, but he still would he still has some rights, so that's why I say questionable. But the moment this man turned 18 and was not forced to like sit down with a lawyer and read a lengthy contract, it would it, the legality goes right out the window. So to jump to a different thought, um, this movie has some very good continuity. Uh, definitely rewards, you know, paying a bit of attention. Um, like in one of the opening scenes, the first time we see Truman as an adult, um, he walks outside to go to work and the neighbor's dog runs up to him and jumps on him. And he acts really weird. Um, and then, you know, we find out later that it's because one of the ways he was kept on the island was because he was made to be afraid of dogs. Like there were, he, he went, he went the wrong direction or something. And there was a dog there that scared him. And like, he wanted to be an explorer as a kid. And then they were like, ah, shit, guess we got to kill his dad in the ocean. So he wouldn't want to go sailing anymore. So he was only left land routes as an exit. Um, Oh god, uh the first time you see him at work, he's tearing eyes out of a women's magazine and you're like, is this man a serial fuck? killer? Yeah, like what kind of shit? And then you find out It's uh, actually really wholesome. Like 45 minutes later <laughs> that it's because he's trying to recreate the face of his high school his high school sweetheart. Yeah. Um that girl that he spent that one life-changing day with. Um and it then didn't you, even bone. It was just that no. that emotionally impo- important, I guess. <laughs> and then you know, Amazing. later we find out that she's still watching the show, and she's like active in like free Truman it's really nice. activist groups. Also, then, really nice to see a '90s movie with a politically involved woman or like an activist woman that isn't like <laughs> shitting all over her. Right. Like, that then, was a pretty uncommon thing at the time. And then like. I think it's a nice sequence at the end. When he finally escapes, and the movie, the 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 movie actually shows her leaving her apartment and heading to the dome yes. to like go meet him. It's nice. It doesn't show them actually meeting, but there's very much the implication that like she'll be there for him when he gets out. Like, yeah. And it's nice to think he won't just be like wandering out into the wilderness all alone. Right, because the entire movie he's spent 
thinking about her and inquiring into her and you don't know it in the first half like first he tears the the faces out of the magazines and he calls a travel agency and like asks around for a woman named sylvia in fiji and you're like the hell is that about yeah you know (laughs) and it's it's nice i feel like a different cut of this movie or this movie from a different director would have had zero shots of what was happening on the outside and would have just had him leaving and like that be it and that could be a, I think that could also be a good, slightly darker take on it. Like, the the way the movie is shot, like we've been talking about, is very meta. We, we see frequent cuts to people in the audience watching it. Like, it's not making any bones about it. Like, you know from the very beginning, the very first words are from um, um, Christoph, the, uh, the showrunner, basically. Like, it just cold cuts right into it, and... So the movie is not trying to trick you. You know the whole time that that it's a TV show. It's literally only Truman is the is the one who doesn't know. Um, and so it's very much a bird's eye view in that regard, which is kind of interesting. So I think it fits that we do see kind of those outside elements. We see her like calling into the station. We see her going to meet him. Um, because fortunately we are privy to that information. I think yeah, there could be a very different kind of twilight zoney take on this that would be entirely just from his perspective where you slowly learn that it is a TV show. But I think it works well with the meta aspect. Like once it's acknowledged, I think it's well utilized basically. Right, it would have a drastically different tone if we didn't have the cuts away to people in the audience watching. It would even it would be much more unsettling, I right. think. Right, if it like, was just this, it would be like a, a, a freaking Jordan Peele horror. Like, this, yeah. just this man and the camera's on him, and, like, it's just him slowly thinking he might be in a TV show, and, like, with no... Yeah. <laughs> it, the, you, have, you have no audience to go right. off of. It's just this man and the people in his life who act strangely. Right, a horror movie where... Uh, or a horror-adjacent movie where a man slowly realizes that his entire life is a TV show and everyone that he knows is lying to him. Like, that kind of thing. That, that could be very effective, and yet it's interesting the approach that it's taken is like, from Truman's perspective, this is pretty horrifying, but from our perspective, since we are in on it, it's more like we are, <laughs> we are the audience, but instead of rooting for him to stay in the world, we are rooting for him to get out of it. So we're still, we are still rather voyeuristically watching him. Uh, but we we hope for a different outcome, I guess. <laughs> um, the which is also interesting because I noticed even in the camera work, like there were the cinematography is is very good too because there is very intentional difference between how certain things are shot. Like some things you would see shot from like the voyeuristic perspective of a camera. Like literally, some of the shots would have like a camera lens around it, like. And then other ones, and this didn't happen as much, but other ones sometimes would be very clearly that uh, sort of subjective, like viewpoint kind of shot where you could tell it was supposed to be from Truman's perspective. Right. I particularly noticed that in the library scene with him and what's her face like right when they're like escaping the cameras and it's it's just the two of them there's a lot of shots up close that no hidden camera could capture right it would be impossible for a camera to capture that even with their technology and it feels very much like you are actually seeing it from his 
human perspective as right. opposed to that of the objective quote-unquote camera yeah no there are definitely deliberate filmmaking techniques to differentiate between the two which is which is fun to try and watch and pick up on as a viewer even that makes me kind of think about the last sequence um um where it kind of shifts to to Kristoff's perspective almost exclusively like um like there's those shots of like Truman but kind of from overhead in a very nondescript location that once again maybe couldn't be possible by just an unseen camera right um which almost seems very much like Kristoff's kind of bird's eye or, you know, God's eye view. Right. Like looking down on him as he stands in front of the doorway to the to to the unknown, to the outside world. Um and I really liked that last sequence though once again, I probably one reason I like it so much is because it contains something that the rest of the movie contains so little of which is the closest thing to an honest conversation between two people who haven't been honest with each other up until that point. Like, you know, like a conversation between two people, which once again is something this movie is pretty lacking in, in some ways in an under understandable way, because like, obviously he can't have honest conversations with his quote unquote best friend or his quote unquote wife because they have a vested interest in not telling him the truth right they'll be out of a job <laughs> right and you even see that too there's that great moment when his best friend is telling him like think about it if everyone was lying to you even i would have to be in on it and there's just that wonderful shot of jim carrey's oh, face just realizing just real pain there for a second it's like and thank god he's not doing any weird jim carrey facial contortions he, he just does like the the very very sad very crushed face of a man who's realizing so that his best friend is in fact lying to him because he knows at this point that it's all a lie and so the uh, if a equals b then b in A equals C, then B also equals C kind of thing. Like, yeah. um, um, the he's realizing, like, oh, so even, even you. Like, which is great. But anyways, my point being that, like, because of that, because even the people that he's closest to have to lie to him, quote-unquote have to, that it does feel almost like this conversation at the very end is the only no-holds-barred, actual, honest conversation that isn't cut off like <laughs> and you realize you've been waiting for that the whole movie you've been waiting for someone to just be straight with him like even when um once again can't remember her name his love interest girl sylvia yes tried to be straight with him it was just completely cut off almost before she could even begin and um so it it, it feels very much like <laughs> almost too little too late but i guess in a way that feels true to what the movie is trying to say yes i forgot where i was going with that what, <laughs> what were you going fine. to say oh i was gonna say a little fun fact about the the best friend if you pay attention every time he's holding a beer he's holding it label side out oh. because of the product placement for the Damn. show so even when he's drink enjoying a beer he has to always be conscious of holding it label side out like towards the camera yep yep I, the I artifice never ceases no it never does 
<laughs> oh god, the sequence where every morning two two geriatric twins shove him up against a wall so that there can be an extended hold on an advertisement. Yep. Every day. Yep. God. E- even in this supposedly completely immersive world, like that it is funded i mean and this is explicitly said in the text it's funded entirely based on product placement yeah. yeah like and sponsorships which makes sense i mean it's not like this is going to be a publicly funded thing by the government no. or something even though i guess the government saw it would only to be privately funded this. by the government yeah yeah <laughs> privately right corporate benefactors and such um oh gosh where was i going with that but anyway yeah so the so this, but this ending sequence is so great, but it's also like, it's so frustrating because you're just like, man, I wish we could have had more of this, but, but it, it's also wild to think about like, like the showrunner Kristoff, like has basically built his entire life, you know, and Truman's life around this show and very obviously sees Truman as co- sort of like a a, a son mm-hmm. in a very like weird twisted way like there's that great shot like some of these very surrealistic shots with the giant screens like this like kind of green night vision shot of tr- just Truman's face like sleeping normally and like you know like Kristoff touching the screen you know as one would touch right, a sleeping child's Christoph face. Kristoff is holding a roughly baby sized screen. Oh yeah that one shot of him like like talking to Truman like it just the entire positioning and framing of it it's like like someone holding their newborn child it's it's wild like because like at this point this is like a 30 year old man who but he's been watching him his entire life and yet has never been able to communicate with him and even that is almost like kind of a sad thing because it's it's like you know this is a father figure who has never actually been a father to his quote-unquote son he's been controlling his life but has never actually been part of it which feels very true <laughs> to, to 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 many father figures i'm sure like um but it, it's just such a great sequence and especially great because it's like it doesn't actually amount to anything but in a way that makes sense like like he he's trying to get him to stay and yet you can almost hear in his voice that he doesn't really think that it's going to work he just feels that he needs to say these things to him right that's why he completely gives up the artifice because he knows it's over right he knows like he i think he knows from the very beginning of that conversation that truman's gonna walk out the door there's no way he isn't like even if he comes back which you know who, who fucking knows could technically happen even if he realizes that it's not that great in the outside world there's no way he isn't going to try to find out um which is like that's what a child has to do you know they have to step outside of the house they have to seek their own life in the world child arrived just the other day (laughs) came to the world in the usual way it's funny because, you know, that song being about, like, a distant or absent father, this song is about, like, a or song. This movie <laughs> is simultaneously about a very distant and yet very present father, like a helicopter father who was nonetheless not 
a real father. Like, <laughs> he's controlling everything. You're not my real helicopter dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, he, he's... And he present like he clearly sees himself as a benevolent person. Like he does buy into his bullshit in a way that like makes him sympathetic while also being like pretty evil. Yeah, a giant prick. <laughs> yes, like well, it's what keeps it's what the difference between a villain and just like a a, a truly morally gray to worse than gray person like wouldn't call him a villain because he at no point i think even realizes that what he's doing is bad i think he own in so much as he realizes that there are things that he's doing that are ethically questionable he thinks it's justified because of he thinks he is providing at least one person in the world a completely perfect life right and that from that perspective could be considered a moral good like, like, and it's very clear that his care for Truman is not artifice. Like, the, I don't know, I think Ed What's-His-Face, huh. uh, who is very good, as Caleb will say, at playing Harris? hateable characters. Yes, I think Ed Harris, yes. Nonetheless sells this pretty well. Like, he sells the egotistical director slash showrunner character very well while also selling the the caring yet completely misguided father figure. <laughs> like, I, I think he's really he's really great in his somewhat limited screen time here. Um He is a complex and confusing character. Yeah. Definitely one that you could I think deb- debate about at length, which we did. Oh, the the <laughs> entire movie invites extensive debates over ethics. Though to be fair, the the central thing shouldn't have should not have been that much of a debate, and probably shouldn't have been allowed by you know like the United Nations or the Geneva Conventions or whoever. But I guess they just I mean they do kind of say like well technically he could leave at any time, but even that is sort of given the lie when like he he, he tries, tries to, to leave. drive away and like all the people from the power plant come out and grab him. Which fun fact, you know. We don't need to give away personal. Never mind. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Screw it. My grandfather was a, a, a security guard at that power plant. Oh shit! Oh, another little trivia fact. That's it's actually they, they actually almost like arrested an, Truman. It's not a nuclear plant. It's not a nuclear plant. Right. Which is what they act like. They're like, oh no, the radiation. Uh, you gotta go. You can't be here. Yes. Um, and then you know, as Stephanie said, they physically force him back to the island, which is where you're like, right. You can't. He can't really leave. Um, he overcame his debilitating fear by and like by forcing his wife to drive over the bridge for him. And then, you know, as soon as he starts to try and leave the dome, they literally knock him unconscious and force him back. Yeah, at that point it seems like unlawful. This proving false what Kristoff just said. Right. I, I know, I know. And but then so I mean it it does raise a lot of questions, but at least it provides us with the like nice kind of narrative bookend of he he has to actually traverse the the sea quote unquote he has to face his fear um and and sail across the <laughs> the quote unquote uh 
ocean or whatever it's supposed to be, whatever he thinks that it is. To it's reach pretty the big, other though. Side. It is pretty big for something that's all See, technically under one dome. Right, it seems to take him a while to get there. Right. Um, which, oh, I mentioned us watching it this time. As uh, Stephanie and I uh, have uh, visited L.A. recently, and it's nice having that sh- no- knowing that someone is going to be waiting for him when it leaves the dome but if it didn't have that shot it was kind of hilarious and terrifying thinking about truman leaving the dome and just winding up in downtown la with like n- <laughs> not a single dollar to his name and knowing nothing about the outside world uh that's just how all the stars got the start kid jeez uh, yeah. not a good way to start no i know i know <laughs> right okay so was it supposed to be right outside of la it is the dome is literally like right behind the hollywood sign dude the amount of water they must have had to pump in there right because like well yeah that's not technically downtown la but it's really close yes. um, it's east la close to and, the city yeah and so yeah they would have had to pump in Jeez, how do you how do you uh what's the word god Terraform. Yeah. Can you terraform the mountains outside of LA to turn it into a coastal town on the on the Gulf of Mexico? Right. <laughs> You'd think they would have at least just cordoned off and like bought and and. Right. You could just buy a, a, a seaside yeah. town somewhere. Right. It'd probably be pretty cheap. Like you just go buy some podunk town in in the Panhandle or something. I know. They just didn't want to leave LA. <laughs> but but um. Yeah, I, I don't know. That is a little funny. Some of the logistics raise some questions, but yes. you know, you just gotta hand wave it. You gotta think of it as yes, like you do. soft sci-fi. What like, do we do, Stephanie? We meet the movie on right, its level. Right, we meet the movie on its terms. Like that's its terms. Fine. That's a better way to put it. Yes, and even the movie, I think, doesn't really claim to be set in the exact present day. I think it's supposed to be vaguely futuristic. Right, they make allusions to like, oh, as Truman grew, so did the technology to film it. Yes, the movie is uh, very Black Mirror-esque, like, it, it feels like kind of in that world. Just slightly less depressing than a lot of that. Yeah. Like, there could, let me put it this way, there could very easily be a Black Mirror episode that was this movie, but just maybe would be More slightly depressing. different and slightly shorter. <laughs> yes. I, and, but to be fair, I think there there is also plenty of opportunities for great alternate endings for this movie. Like, I think, you know, there it's... Pl- plenty possible that he maybe would get into the outside world realize this sucks after a year or two and then be like i'm going back to whatever the town was like don't remember the name of it and then the final scene could just be like him coming back and everyone's obviously faking it and being 1950s bullshit and he's just like okay but now he knows he can screw with them okay that's true (laughs) that that could be yeah Maybe he would be like, there's going to be some changes around here. Right. <laughs> First off, I want to be the mayor. Yeah, exactly. I want a better job. He could start making demands. I think that's fair. Um, I'm trying to find out what the name of the... Oh, sorry, I've been saying 1995. This is a 1998 movie? What the fuck did we say? 95? I thought IMDb said 95. Wikipedia says 98. Huh. Wow. Well, I didn't know. All I knew was that... That it was the 90s. Fascinating. I might have been living here at the time. 
Um, anyway, I was just trying to find out what the name of the town was because I think it was like kind of weirdly close to the actual town town's name, but like just changed just enough. I don't remember actually. Give me a second. Sea Haven. Ah, okay. So it is 50% the same name as the actual town. Yes, that makes sense. Hmm. <laughs> That's funny. I also thought it, thought it was funny that in this, this idealized perfect world, they still acknowledge homelessness. They just take a super Republican stance about it. <laughs> I was just like, why not just not have homelessness exist in this universe? That's not possible because then how do you, they had to find some way to explain the guy who quote unquote wasn't Truman's dad. Until oh, they decided God. to fold him in and bring him back. Okay, I guess That so. was how they explained away Truman's dad before they decided to just roll with it. It was just super weird. It made you feel like if it was said a few decades earlier, they would be having slightly more controversial subjects on the newspaper. You know, like Jesus. segregation-related subjects. It seemed very much like that kind of thing. I was like, "Why are you even bringing up homelessness? Why are there? Why do politics exist in this universe that you've created for Truman? Why not just have them not exist?" Like, I mean, granted, he would eventually be like, "Huh, this is kind of weird," but that's everything's like that. So it just, I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> Once again, it fosters. So so many questions and 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 so many you just want more from it but that's a good thing right like a movie that leaves you wanting more yes like that's in some ways that is the hallmark of a of a good little universe that's yeah. been created or a good concept you're just like yeah I want, well what about this part what about this <laughs> part like because there's so many angles that are very interesting to think about yeah Whew. i think that's a good place to leave it yeah probably We've talked about the Truman Show for longer than I expected to. No, I, I expected this to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a good movie, and it does foster a lot of discussion. Yes, I think something that we can learn from these movies is that there are two places you should never go. Boarding school and wherever it is that we live. <laughs> We've probably said it in another episode. Piece it together yourself. Boarding school in the 1950s. Um, Whether that is in reality or in pretend fantasy role play imagination. Thank you for listening to Sounds Familiar. My name's Caleb. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at actual underscore Caleb. My name's Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph Has No Name and a letterbox at Ray's Left Boo. And you can find the show on Twitter at Sounds Familiar. And hopefully next week we'll have that mysterious third member of our podcast. That boy. That boy. Here he come or no. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. All right. Good night, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to check the episode description for any links we may have included related to this week's episode. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at Sounds Familiar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at soundsfamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Check her out on Instagram at ChelseaVHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to tune in every Thursday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.